there was a show on NBC for a little while that Jordan and I loved to watch called Making It. Anybody in here watch Making It? Okay, huge hit in Bayleaf Baptist Church. Can make this really easy. Thank you to my friend Brooke who also watched it. The people who come, it's a competition show, all right? And the people who come on this show are all very crafty. They love to create, design, build things around their home. And sometimes they have taken these hobbies and talents and used them to open their own businesses. There are people on the show who are master woodworkers. Some are painters or interior designers. Some just live, eat, and breathe Pinterest. But for whatever reason, they've come and they've gathered in this competition show to see who is the most crafty, who will be deemed at the end of the show, the master maker. And one of the elements of the show that I really enjoyed is when they would take these random unconventional materials and say, hey, use this to make something awesome and pretty. Like they would empty out trash bags and say, hey, take all this trash and make something beautiful with it. One episode that comes to my mind in particular, they gave them pool noodles Pool noodles. And I said, hey, take these pool noodles and make an awesome costume with it. And one guy made an award-winning blueberry pie costume out of pool noodles. And it was incredible, not just the design of the costume, but the way he manipulated these materials. It made it even, even more incredible because when you looked at the costume, you couldn't even tell there were noodles, pool noodles, as a part of it. He completely transformed them. Now, you come across competitions like this in all kinds of competitive shows, ones that do cooking or fashion. They, they take unconventional materials and challenge these contestants to use them because in using the unconventional material, it uniquely expresses the genius of the creator. The unconventional material shows the greatness of the one using it to create something new. There's a similarity to the observation that we're making about the show making it in the kingdom of God. Now, I know it may seem like a stretch, but I promise you it's true because God uses surprising materials all the time in his kingdom work to reveal his glory. He uses unconventional, surprising materials to show his creative genius. I can prove it to you because he uses us. And how, how surprising is that? my friends. He delights in using what we think is unusual to show his surpassing greatness, to transform it for his glory. Think about what the Bible says about the people of Israel in the Old Testament, right? God chose them. He chose Israel. He drew them to himself to reveal his glory, not because they were the greatest nation, but because they were the exact opposite of that, according to Deuteronomy chapter 7. So he, he blessed them and he wanted people to know that when they got the land of promise, when they experienced these victories over armies and nations that were stronger than them, it wasn't because of their military prowess. It wasn't because of their brute strength. It was because of their God. God has chosen what is foolish by human standards in order to shame the wise. It's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And this morning, as we turn our attention to Psalm chapter 8, we're going to consider how he uses us. 
an unconventional material. Consider the unique role of man in the created order and why God has given us a place of prominence in order to bring him glory. And here's what we'll see from Psalm chapter 8. God chooses, he delights in choosing, surprising means in his plan of redemption to further reveal his glory. From the beginning, God has intended to magnify his strength and his majesty, majesty through the use of human weakness. Psalm chapter 8. Here's what the word of God says. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babies and infants. You've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. And when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You've made him a little lower than yourself, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, Psalm chapter 8 is a wonderful hymn of praise. It's beautifully constructed and it, it's filled with soul-stirring imagery. But like all good worship songs that the people of God should sing, this psalm also teaches us some important truths. In particular, about God's design of the created order and how it fits within his larger work and plan for redemption. His work to reveal his glory. And so let's, let's consider together some of these truths that this psalm teaches us to help us understand how God wants to unveil his, creation, his glory in the created order, even through the use of weakness. Truth number one from Psalm chapter eight about God's wonderful work of creation. God created everything with purpose. God created everything and he created it with purpose, the psalmist begins and ends with a declaration. And anytime you see something repeated this closely and often in scripture, you want to pay attention, especially in the book of Psalms, because they're, they're saying, hey, this is important. So take notes. Here's how it begins and ends. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, the earth, the whole of the created order is intended to reveal the majesty of God. When we look at the heavens, when we look at the sky, when we look at the moon, when we join the psalmist David here and gazing at the night sky, this psalm is telling us, it's calling us to marvel at the one who created it. How could we not? How can we not behold the majesty of God in his creation? And let's consider the night sky. Do you know there are more, more stars in the universe than grains of sand on the beaches of the earth? Isn't that stunning? Our best guess is there are around a billion trillion stars. It's hard to wrap our minds around. It's such a big number. It sounds like a made up number. 
It's like a bajillion, bajillion stars. We, we can't even begin to fathom the expanse of the universe, and yet God knows every single star. He spoke it into existence. He holds it together. And the biggest star in our universe is, of course, the sun. It's 93 million miles away from the earth, and that seems like a really far way away from us, and yet it is the perfect distance away from us to sustain life on this planet. It's as if Somebody designed it that way. It's incredible how intricate and beautiful every aspect of creation is. And it's all meant to call us, drive us to marvel at the one who designed it. To wonder at the majesty of the true master maker, our Lord God. And his glory is meant to be held everywhere. That's another aspect of this declaration, how majestic is your name in all the earth. His majesty is revealed in creation and it is meant to be beheld by all of creation all over the world. It's a reminder to us, friends, that the greatness of God is a global greatness. He's not just the God of, of one tribe, some local tribe or one local people. He is the God of the heavens and the earth. He is worthy of the worship of every single person that lives. He is the creator of all things and is worthy of the worship of all things. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then the psalmist moves to speak about the unique way that man is intended to reveal the glory of God. God's created with purpose. And he's positioned man within creation for a unique role in fulfilling that purpose. When you think about the vastness of creation, when you think about all the marvelous works of God, it's hard to believe a God who created all of that who is powerful and wonderful enough to create all that we behold would even pay attention to us. It even leads the psalmist in verse four to ask the question, what is man? Why, why do you even care about us, God? What is man that you are mindful of him? Why do you love the son of man? You got a lot going on. You're literally holding together the whole of existence and, and we seem rather small compared to the stars of the sky and the majesty of the mountains. And yet God is mindful of us. Yet God does care for us and love us and have, has a purpose for us. And we see that in the way that God created us as those who bear his image. We were created differently than everything else around us on purpose and for a purpose. This is the testimony not only of Psalm 8, but Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, we get to see God's master making work and, and everything except for us is create, created by God's spoken creative word. There was nothing and then there was something because God spoke it into existence. There was no light. So he said, let there be light. And all of a sudden there was light. And everything that exists happened according to that plan until, until we arrive at God's final creation, man. He didn't speak us into existence. Look at how he 
created us in verses 26 to 27. And then we're going to jump down to chapter two a little bit. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That sounds familiar, almost exactly word for word from Psalm 8. And so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now jump down to chapter 2, verses 5 to 7, and, and see chapter 2 is expanding on what we just read at the end of chapter 1. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed. He formed. He formed a man of dust from the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Do you see the difference? God personally made us. He, he took the dirt, he shaped it, and then he personally breathed the breath of life into us. We were made in the image of God. And as we were made in the image of God, God positioned us in a unique way over all of creation. He gave us authority over creation. What a stunning thing for God to do as an extension of his authority. He designed us to be less than himself, verse 5, but also greater than everything else in the created order to represent him upon the earth, to reflect his authority as the moon reflects the sun. And because of the unique way that God designed us, because we bear his image, we are able to not only display the glory of God, we are to declare the majesty of God. We not only evidence God's majesty in our design, we are able to recognize that majesty and articulate it in worship and praise. Think about the difference there, right? If you go and look at a mountain, let's say you go to the mountains this summer, you go over to Boone, you go over to Asheville somewhere, and you're looking at the mountains. Mountains tend to kind of call us to wonder at the majesty of their, their grandeur and bigness. And so we can observe majesty, but, but can the mountains understand who created them? Can the mountains give praise to the one who created them, whose, whose majesty they reflect? They can't, but we can. God has allowed us to know him, to, to recognize the majesty of, of our own creation, the majesty of the creation around us, and recognize that it was him who created it and give him praise. That's unique to our design. It's unique to us as image bearers. We were designed to witness the greatness of God in creation and enjoy it as a means of enjoying him, which is why we were created. God has designed all things with purpose, created all things with purpose, and he's positioned man within the created order for a purpose. Thirdly, God's purposes are opposed. That's something else we learn from Psalm chapter 8. God created with purpose. He's got a purpose for man, but these purposes are opposed. We see this in verse 2. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you've established strength because you have foes. You have an enemy. You have an avenger. 
the purpose of God to display his majesty, the purpose of God to display his glory is opposed. There are powers and principalities, forces under the control of our great enemy, Satan, that are, create, that are actively working, opposing God and his purposes within the created order. They're trying to steal the glory of God and mask his majesty. And what's worse is they're even even actively working to deceive and lead those God has entrusted with his image astray, away from their purpose. We saw that in the story of creation as well. When you get to Genesis chapter three, the enemy comes in the form of a serpent and leads Adam and Eve away from their purpose. And unfortunately, that work still continues today. And here's the reality. As we fall victim to the deception of those who are opposed to God, fallen mankind, sinful human beings, we now join these forces in opposing the work of God. Any person, anyone, any being who is opposed to God's purposes is his enemy. See, in our sin, we're more concerned about our name. We're more concerned about our majesty than that of God. This is a tragic reality, friends. Think about it. As the, the crown of God's creation, that's who we are. We were given by him graciously unique position to articulate his glory and reflect his authority. But in joining with the rebellion of those forces opposed to God, we now diminish him rather than make much of him. And that's a problem because it deserves judgment. It's a problem because we can't live as we were created to, bound in our opposition. And for the sake of his name and his glorious purposes, we need these enemies to be defeated and we ourselves need to be rescued from them. And the good news here is that in Psalm chapter eight, there's an echo of hope that's expanded throughout the rest of the Bible. Because the fourth thing we learned about God's wonderful work of creation is that even though his purposes are opposed, God will accomplish his purpose and he will do so by utilizing our weakness. Our weakness. God will conquer his enemies and accomplishes his purpose through the utilization of instruments of weakness. Through the redemption of of our weakness. And then an incredible thing that God will redeem even our weakness to display his glory and his strength. Our weakness is not a surprise, nor by the way, is the weakness of those who oppose him, but rather they are an opportunity for God to display his strength, to unveil his majesty. Back to that, that pool noodle imagery here. God delights in using unconventional means to show just how great he is. And exposing the weakness of his enemies through the use of our weakness, God is all the more glorified. Because if God can overcome them, defeat them through the use of weakness, how weak do they have to be? Even though they think they are strong. Look at verse two again. 
Where has God established strength? What is it that will still the enemy and the avenger? Praise from the mouths of babies and infants. That's stunning. Who in here thinks, okay, we're going to war. Let's get the babies and the infants. Let's send them out first because that's gonna, that's gonna make the knees buckle of our enemies. Let's, well, maybe if they start crying in the middle of the night, they'll start getting a little nervous. But that's not what we initially think of as being a symbol of strength, babies and infants. And yet God has said that when he uses these mechanisms, these instruments of supposed weakness, they are the things that will stop the opposition. They are the things that will bring about their defeat. As God's enemies cry out against his redemptive plan, their cries of war are drowned out by the wonderful, beautiful cries of children and infants praising, praising their creator God. God, God intends to reveal his glory through the use of surprising means. He unveils strength and weakness. And in using our weakness, he unveils the stunning weakness of those who oppose him. Now this, may, this plan may be surprising. It's intentionally surprising. And it leads us to the fulfillment of this hope and promise in the story of Jesus. You see, the redemptive intention of God from the beginning to overthrow his enemies, the redemptive intention of God sewn into the fabric of creation is fully realized in the person and work of Christ. Interestingly, Psalm 8 is quoted several times in the New Testament in ways that directly tie it to the work of Jesus. I want to just look at two this morning. The first is in Psalm 20, uh, sorry, Matthew 21, 16. Jesus quotes it there. And the second is found in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 27. Let's look at both of these. In Matthew 21, verse 16, Jesus quotes the psalm during the account of his triumphal entry. You may remember that he came into Jerusalem. He cleansed the temples the temple, and as he's finished with that work of cleansing the temple, the children in the temple begin to offer him praise. And they say to him, Hosanna to the son of David. They're crying out to Jesus for salvation. They're, they're giving him praise and honor that should only be given to God. And the chief priests, the, the scribes come around him indignant and they say, how, can, how on earth can you let these children praise you as if you are God? They're opposing the majesty of God revealed in the Son. And here's how Jesus responds. As they hear, do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus says, yes. Yes, I hear it. I receive it. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul's writing here about the resurrection of Jesus the glory of the resurrection, the promise of the resurrection. And here's what he says. In the resurrection, verse 27, Jesus has been exalted by the Father and God has put him in the place of us and the created order. He has put all things in subjugation under his feet. Quoting directly Psalm 8, 
verse 6 there. Now let's, let's, collect it. let's connect the dots in a way that I hope will, will stir your heart for the majesty of God and lead you to worship him this morning. Here's how the New Testament is showing us the promises of, of Psalm 8. The promises of God's design in creation are being fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus came in weakness. He took on our humanity. He took on flesh. He came in humility and he died in humiliation upon the cross. But through the display of so-called weakness, through the folly of the cross, the frailty of man, the anguish of death, God has shown his glory in greater ways than ever before. While the enemy certainly in his mind thought he had victory over God through the death of the son, that moment of weakness was intentional by God to show his unmatched strength, his unmatched glory through the God-man Jesus Christ. And just as the cries of the innocent children and babies stilled the attack of Jesus' enemies when they rose up in opposition against him during the triumphal entry, so does this act of glory permanently still the attack of our enemy. Out of weakness, God has established strength. Out of the cross, God has secured our salvation. And in Jesus completing his earthly work, in completing the task that was given to us, a task we failed in, to image him, to declare and reveal his glory and majesty, to articulate it in worship and praise, Jesus has taken his rightful place as the great high priest, the true mediator between God and man, the truly exalted man, but here's the wonderful thing about God's work in Jesus. Even though we failed in our initial created purpose and we joined the rebellion against God, when we come to God in repentance and belief and faith in the Son, we are able to step back into that purpose once again. We are able to be exalted in the Son, to live as we were created to live. In Christ, once again, we can step into the imaging work God intended for us, exercising God's authority as a part of his church now because Christ is with us, not for our own sake, not to build our own kingdom, but to build his kingdom, magnify his glory, and call the nations to join us in worshiping him as they behold the majesty of God in Christ as they see how good and gracious our Father is and how he has loved us through the Son. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's revealed through the creative act, but friends, remember, it's also revealed in greater ways through the work of new creation that he has begun and is bringing to completion in the Son. May we worship him and call the nations to do the same because he is worthy. Now, how can we respond this morning to God's word in Psalm chapter eight? Remember, God is speaking to us through his word. And when God speaks, things happen, as we saw in Genesis chapter one. So let's think about 
how we can respond to God speaking to us today. Firstly, would you marvel at the strength of God shown in Christ's victory? God's enemies think they are strong. They think they have a chance, but they are deceived and they are foolish. They think they are strong, but they are woefully weak. So weak that the shouts and the cries of children can restrain them. Marvel at the strength and the wonder and the majesty of our God, but also take note. If you are not in the victory of Christ, you are still an enemy of God. And all enemies of God will be judged. And so our encouragement to you this morning is as you see the victory of God over his enemies, over our enemies, through the work of Jesus on the cross, to step into that victory today through repentance and belief. Here's the way that the first step of us beginning to live as we were created to live, to come to God in humility and say, I have rebelled against you. I have joined the forces of the enemy in sin, worrying about my own glory, my own name, rather than yours. I come upon you. I fall before you in complete dependence and ask for you to save me, to, to rescue me so that through this act of salvation, your glorious strength can be seen in my weakness. Would you do that today? Would you step into that incredible victory today and give your life to the one who created you for his glory. Just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front. We'd love to encourage you and pray with you. If you feel the Lord leading you to respond in that way today, out of the cross, God has secured our salvation. Move from an enemy of God to a child of God through the work of Christ. For those of us who are in Jesus, let's also give thanks for the ability to see the majesty of God in creation. This is another wonderful truth of scripture that apart from the work of Christ, even though God's majesty is revealed, the intention of, of creation is to reveal the majesty of God, we cannot know God apart from the work of Christ. Romans 1 tells us that even though God's majesty should be able to be beheld by us. Our sinfulness blinds us to the reality of God. And so even though we can recognize, hey, this mountain is great, there must be a great something that created it. Or maybe the mountain itself is great. Stars, moon, they're great. Somebody great must have designed it. Or maybe the, the sun, moon, and stars are gods themselves. We've had cultures around the, the history of mankind that have worshiped these things because we're able to, to recognize greatness in these aspects of creation, but we can't assign the greatness. We can't, we can't figure out who the greatness belongs to because we're so captured in our sin. We're so blinded by our sin. But here's the, the wonderful thing about the work of Jesus. When those scales of sin fall off of our eyes and we behold the glory of God through the sun first, we're then able to see the glory of God everywhere else. We're able to see that this mountain is is majestic because it reflects the majesty of God. The ocean is majestic because it reflects the majesty of its creator who controls it for his purposes. We're able to finally give 
articulation to the glory and wonder of God because of the work of the Son. He allows us to see what we could not see to become who God created us to be. We should give thanks for God's grace to us to see the majesty that he has revealed through the created order. Thirdly, let's give thanks this morning for the privilege of being used by God in his kingdom work. We're pool noodles. And yet God takes us and shapes us and forms us to be used for his glory. He transforms us and reveals in and through us his creative genius. It's incredible to me that God wants to use us to bring about his kingdom. And that he, he even shares his dominion with us as his people. Why would God do that? Why would God allow us to reflect his authority as the sun or as the moon reflects the sun? Now as the people of God. Here's how John Piper, one of my favorite pastors, I think you know this now, speaks of the reason why God has created this way. The reason he even now, on the other side of Jesus, even though we rebelled, the reason he even now shares his dominion with human beings is to give joy. To give joy to those kinds of humans who don't rejoice in trying to subvert God's will, but rather rejoice and making his will their supreme treasure. When people see us and our weakness used by God, delighting in God, it's supposed to draw others to himself because they're trying to assign the greatness that they perceive in the created order. They're trying to, to assign the reason why they were created and they cannot do it apart from the work of Christ. That's our job. To reveal his majesty and saying, hey, God showed us his majesty through the sun. It allows us to see everything else. And if you want to live as you were created to, if you want to find joy and purpose and meaning, you have to come in weakness and humility to the Father so that he can display his strength and your salvation. And that leads to the fourth point, to respond this morning. Can we pray for the Lord's mercy toward those who are still opposed to God? Again, there's coming a day when God will judge all the forces, all the people who stand in opposition to his purposes. And if you are not secured in the victory of Christ upon the cross, then your future will be one of judgment. With those forces that you serve instead of God, as an enemy of God, you will spend, they will spend an eternity separated from a holy and righteous God in judgment in a place called hell. That is their future. Unless they receive the gracious offer of life and salvation in Jesus. Can we pray? Can we pray for the nations, the tribes, the tongues, the people, God's worthy of their praise and yet they do not know him. 
Can we pray that God would use us as his people, as his renewed image bearers in Christ to go and proclaim how God has loved them? Can we pray right now for our team in Thailand that is encouraging the people there to not look to a a false form of worship or their ancestors for salvation or meaning, but to God alone in Christ? Let's pray that God would use us to help declare his majesty because he is a global God who is worthy of every person's praise. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. As the people of God, let's never stop declaring it. Wherever you are, you bow your heads. Spend some time asking God to help you know how to respond to the proclaimed word. Again, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never stepped into the victory of Christ through a declaration of weakness, humility, repentance, belief, would you do that today? We'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front. We'd love to pray with you if you need that today. But for those of us who are in Christ, let's marvel at the victory of Jesus, the display of God's marvelous, glorious strength through the foolishness and weakness of the cross. Let's marvel at how he has overcome his enemies and given us a way to victory and freedom. God, thank you for that. Let's pray. Let's pray for those who are still deceived held captive by sin, our enemy, those things opposed to God. And would you pray that God would use us to help those in our families, in our cities, in our schools, all across the earth to know how God has loved them. Father, would you help us respond in a way that helps us walk in greater faithfulness and brings you glory? We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.